Hi, everybody, and welcome to SNL Funhouse, a Saturday Night Live recap podcast. My name is Mike Bloom, talking about season 43, episode 18 of Saturday Night Live. We are in the home stretch of season 43, and I would not be doing this at all without my lovely co host seated right next to me. I do notice he's talking into three microphones, very much like a Jack White type of thing. So, Mario Lanza, I can only assume the effects that are going to be coming out of you this episode. Bloomy, good to be here. That was a very good, perfect sound effect. Uh, I'll, I'll add some reverb in there and some bass and maybe some, <laughs> some you know, tremolo as well, just to, to make it sound as basso profundo as possible. Yeah, no, I was very excited to see Jack White. It was very nice to see Sigourney Weaver pulling out her new character. So it was good to see her on the show. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait until the uh, the inevitable, you know, since the Alien franchise is all about sequels and tying back into the canon of it all, I can't wait to see Jack White make a cameo in the new Alien film, only for it to turn out to be Sigourney Weaver, Ripley's newest identity. Exactly, yeah. she She's a talented woman. Well, let's talk about this episode of SNL. We talked a bit before we came onto the podcast. I mean... I have made my John Mulaney biases very prevalent, especially at the end of last episode. So I'm actually going to throw it to you first, because I'm really intrigued to hear your thoughts. Because, like you said, you knew nearly nothing about this guy, except for that he wrote for SNL and he's a stand-up comedian coming into this show. So give me your preconceived thoughts about the episode and whether or not the actual implementation of the episode defied those expectations. Met them, underwhelmed them, what have you. Yeah, again, I knew almost nothing about him. It's just because I'm not especially good at keeping up with pop culture these days. But yeah, I had heard so many people being excited about this episode that he was apparently this big deal. So I was, I had secondhand contact high over John Mulaney uh, hosting because I, I just, everybody, so many people that I knew and respected were excited about this one. So I went into it with an open mind. And uh, what's funny is I didn't watch it last night. I, I didn't watch it until right before our podcast today. But last night, my email inbox was just flooded with people saying, hey, Mario, what did you think of SNL? And it's weird because a couple – I mean usually every week I'll get you know four or five people that do that. It was like 20 to 30 people that don't normally even ask me about SNL. So I'm like – all right, what the hell happened on this episode that they will all want my thoughts on it? And To be then pretty I this... sure, I'm pretty sure they were all robots. Did you put them through a test to make sure that they weren't? Yes, exactly. It was Skynet. Skynet is, is very interested in my opinions on SNL these days. So, so that being said, you, you got you know even a hype built in from email recipients. Overall, what did you think about this episode? Overall, this was my favorite episode of the season, and it's not even close. I mean, this was about as close as you can tailor an episode of SNL to my specific sense of humor and just my sensibilities. In fact, it's funny because I actually had a friend of mine, Joe Jennings, kind of explaining to me this morning. He he said it better than I could. He's like, I knew you would like the show because you're very much a big picture guy. You like the big picture behind a joke, the concept. And he's like, a lot of the times SNL will just do punchlines. They'll just throw out punchlines and audiences eat up punchlines. Audiences love that stuff. But Mulaney tends not to do that. He'll just have increasingly bizarre and dark things going around while someone's questioning what's happening. And it's not like, like it's not repeatable quotes. Like I don't have a lot of quotes written down for last night. It's more the, the, the premise behind the joke, the premise behind the humor, the psychology. And so this, uh, my friend Joe said, I knew you'd love this. And I knew the audience weren't going to eat up all these sketches because it's a little too conceptual. So these are all writer's sketches. And that's, mm. that's perfectly what I thought of the show last night. It was just one writer's sketch after another, and some of them hit, some of them didn't, but I just loved the idea behind just about every single one of them. I just loved 
what they were aiming for in the show. And I was I found myself giggling almost the entire show. Yeah, totally in agreement, uh, especially in my opinion, my favorite episode of the season so far in that. You know, I would say that especially in season 43, we've talked about this on the podcast before, it's not necessarily a writer-forward season. I would say it's more of a performer-forward season where we've talked about how sometimes the writing behind these sketches are not great, but the performances really elevate them. Of course, when you bring in someone who has wrote for SNL, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of these sketches that really hit were chestnuts that he dusted off that did not mm-hmm. make it to the final show back when he was on the show. So... You could really tell, and to your point about John's style, it's very much like, like you said, it's not necessarily building towards a punchline as much as it is sort of throwing in random details here and there <laughs> that just make things so specific. And 90% of the time, specificity is key in comedy. The more specific you are with the things you're talking about, usually the funnier they are. And that's what I personally really like about John Mulaney's humor. I rewatched his two Netflix specials before watching the episode just to sort of get my get myself in the Mulaney mind frame once again. And I just love his storytelling, and I love that how that translated into sketches as well. But I totally agree that these were definitely in my wheelhouse as well in terms of just completely absurd off-the-wall <laughs> sketches. There, there was no real big commentary going on. You know, even stuff like the cold open was really politically adjacent. But everything was so goofy and weird that <laughs> I had the initial smile on my face with the concept of the sketch, and the execution and the random stuff that got thrown in just made my smile widen. So definitely agree, number one episode for me for the season so far. Yeah, and absolutely, just the darkness, that's the one thing. Some of the darkness in these sketches and jokes, and the one thing that, that I, other thing that I have to point out is that just how confident Mulaney was in the material. And that's mm. the thing, like you said, you could tell these were sketches he'd written or believed in or had fought for over the years. He would just, he owned every single sketch he was in, like he ran it. And, the, and you don't normally get that from a first-time host. And again, like you said, he was a writer on SNL. So he knows the process. He knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. And he just owned every single sketch out there. Even the ones that were bombing, like he's owning, he's going right into the material. He's, he's selling it. So I really, again, just a a comedy writer at heart. That's what I always will be. I just saw a writer out there living his dream, running an SNL show. And I, I loved every minute of it. Well, maybe not every minute of it, but once it got going, I don't think it started that strong. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I would actually say in a rarity for SNL, the cold open might have been my least favorite part of the episode. And it's <laughs> it's interesting because with all the news about Michael Cohen this week, I I think if you had said, you know, what are the chances that there would be a sketch of, that is essentially an extended meet the parents riff for <laughs> three minutes, I would say it's slim to none. But slim and none came together in Studio 8H this episode because the cold open, it starts with, you know, our usual players, Jeff Sessions and Mike Pence in the Department of Justice. Then we have Ben Stiller coming as Michael Cohen. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. I feel like Ben Stiller is actually doing a pretty good job of being like, you know, squirrely New York Jewish lawyer. And then we get into the interrogation room and we have Robert De Niro appearing as Robert Mueller. And then we just go from there. So Mario... What did you, as someone who's, you know, not too much in the political mainstream of things, what did you think about this cold open? First of all, I have to question something you just said. You said in a rarity, the cold opening was not your favorite part of the show. Since when have you liked one of these cold openings recently? I mean, I, I, I usually if I like if I'm ranking the sketches, I would not usually put the cold open at the very bottom. There's usually like at least one post update sketch that I'm like, that's a bad okay. one. But for, for some reason, this just 
it, it just was a miss for me, and because everything else was such a hit. So I would say that, yes, the cold opens have not been firing great as of late, but I would be rare to say that they're, one of them would be my least favorite until this episode. And it's also just because everything else around it was so silly and strong that this kind of stuck out in a way. Yeah, and again, it's kind of the, the pattern that SNL has fallen into this this year and last year, and especially that uh, that uh, the the cold opening is like the topical crap we have to get out of the way before we can get to the real show, and that's really much how this one felt to me. Although it did reiterate the, one of the long-standing beliefs I've always held on SNL that Robert De Niro cannot do live TV. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those things. I mean, I've you've seen this over and over and over the years when he makes appearances. He is terrible at live TV and reading cue cards, and he was terrible here. And again, it, okay, I appreciate it. it was a meet the parents joke, but then they just started like reciting the dialogue verbatim from the movie. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that's good. But yeah, it's it's not one I thought was especially clever. I'm glad there was a nice little uh, pretense behind a sketch that the audience could get behind, and they got to have their whoops and their cheers when Ben Stiller and De Niro came out. But I mean, the real show starts after this cold opening. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm, I do wonder, to your point, obviously there was a lot of political news this week, so I wonder if they had to sort of want to acknowledge that a little bit, even though, as we talked about, they really sort of got away from the main material, just sort of reference Meet the Parrots. I thought, I mean, I personally, I saw it coming like the split second before he walked in, just because when I saw Bensler walk in and you see a lie detector on the table, you kind of start putting two and two together right before that happens, and... Yeah, De Niro, uh, I mean, it's been a while since he's hosted. I think it's been at least like 10 years or so, but he's uh, his eyes were glued to those cue cards. I mean, I think all that being said, they had a good rapport with each other. Uh, and, you know, they got the audience happy by making references to, you know, the nipple stuff. And, you know, we had Robert Mueller, played by Robert De Niro, talking about little Fockers. So I feel like if it satiated that part of the audience's brain, then good on this cold open at least, but it was interesting that, you know, as compared to the rest of the show, this one I feel like tonally kind of stuck out. Yeah, we, we get the obligatory part out of the start, and now it's time to unleash Mulaney, release the Kraken. Before we get to that, just a couple of quick things, a couple of bungles that happen, you know, in the course of like a minute. First, did you catch Robert De Niro? I wouldn't even say he was attempting to say live from New York, it's Saturday night. He just sort of stopped <laughs> And then picked back up with It's Saturday Night, which, <laughs> if that's written on cue cards, man, that's on you. Like, the, the you've said them enough times, but I don't know if, well, you didn't see this because you didn't watch the original broadcast, and it was corrected uh, in the re-airing, but Mr. Daryl Hammond, I think the rumor of the internet is that Bill Hader, uh, like, slipped a 20 into Daryl Hammond's po- uh, pocket to make up for all the times Mulaney made him break during Stefan, because not once, but twice, Daryl Hammond pronounced his name John Mulvaney. Yeah, I will say I I, TV, or I DVR'd the uh, East Coast broadcast, so I did see the original one as it aired, and I did catch that. And my see, I didn't realize that there was a, a thing in there that the hater may have bribed him. I was thinking it was Hammond was on the drugs again, that he was mm. sucking back on Grandpa's old cough medicine in the world, world of Harlan, Harlan Williams. I thought maybe there was a backslide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a weird, concentrated circle uh, of involving weirder and weirder individuals as we build farther and farther out. But let's get into John Mulaney's monologue, because again, Mario, this is the first time that you've seen Mulaney do stand-up. What do mm-hmm. you think about this monologue, and what do you think about watching him as a comic, as someone who has checked out so many stand-ups over the years? 
yeah, he was just very strong. Again, I don't know. What can I say to critique a guy who's been doing this for many, many years? But he was absolutely strong, confident in his material. And again, he some of the jokes worked, some of them didn't. He didn't let it. Uh, he didn't let it throw him off because he believed in the material. And some of the jokes were just so esoteric and weird. Just the direction he went, the the Titanic waving to the ship one is my special favorite. But I wrote down like six or seven of them that I really appreciated. And I don't know, are these well known John Mulaney jokes? Is he just doing doing old shtick, or is this new material he was bringing out for the show? From what I can tell, so he's probably on the show to promote his Netflix stand-up special, Kid Gorgeous, which is taken from the most recent tour he went on. It's coming out on May 1st. From what I heard among the internet rumblings, a lot of those jokes were taken from the tour, but I mean, Louis C.K. is very much a rarity in the comedy world, but someone who goes out and tries out new material pretty much every single time they go out on the stage. So it makes sense that especially it's your, it's your first time out in this major studio that you've written for for so many years you want to rehearse your best material so it was it was new to me personally because i didn't see him on tour but that's the situation in terms of you know where the writing came from yeah and i will have to point out of course that as a fellow hater of any new song that ever comes out i my it warmed my heart to see him admit to that as well i don't like any new songs like everything tonight's the night this is 19 year old garbage so of course as a stick in the mud myself i appreciated him speaking to my people so yeah just go over a few things that i really liked i mean he brings it back to snl and his own connected with his own history by talking about patrick stewart introducing salt and peppa and again (laughs) i feel like one of the things i love about john mulaney is that he will take one soundbite or one like conversation and break it down word for word and almost spin out these ridiculous stories like the narrative he came up with about how you know they had lost peppa and patrick stewart was saying how they had to go on and he gets surprised by seeing peppa burst through the doors and that's why he was so excited and energetic i will say i um i did watch the clip of patrick stewart introducing salt and peppa it was definitely a little more uh, over the top, or a little less over the top than Mulaney sort of made it out to be. But I think it still was a really fun moment to start things out. Oh yeah, all comedy is storytelling. That's the thing. You take the little kernel of something that's funny, you exaggerate it a little, and that's one of the things that I do all the time. But yeah, that <laughs> salt and pepper. <laughs> and did you catch he did that later? Yeah, so he he did he did when he was when he when he was introducing Jack White, he tried to <laughs> do his best Patrick Stewart, which again is just. <laughs> Like, so consistent. It's such like, a little joke that I love. Some other really fun stuff. Uh, when he talks about, you know, when I walk down the street, I need everyone to like me so much. My wife tells me it's like I'm ra- running for mayor of nothing. Uh, and I liked his whole tangent about how when he was in Connecticut, he was, uh, which we do have in Connecticut, many a gazebo that were in- constructed in the mid-1800s. And he acted out the entire, t- he likes to do a lot of acting out as well, the entire, like, town hall where they decide to, Quell the mood of the Civil War by building a gazebo. But I think the thing that really brought it home for me was him doing the entire riff on the CAPTCHA, you know, are you a robot stuff that we usually get when we try to access our information on uh, very privacy-related websites. Yeah, and that's something I wish I had written down word for word so I could quote it because it was really good and it was like a, a poem. Like mm-hmm. if ye be like it was, it was very clever and lots of linguistic humor in there. And like, wow, that's a that's a long way to go for one joke. And he really sold it. I really he had really won me over by that one. Although I will say again, the the waving to the we get up and we get up uh, the ship waving to the ships. We yeah. get very dressed. We include including hats and we go we wave handkerchiefs until it disappears over the horizon to people we don't know. Like. That's the kind of stuff that I love in comedy. So between the Titanic joke and, a, a joke and again, the, the robot stuff at the end, that really won me over. And I'm like, okay, I got to see what this guy's going to do the rest of the show after that monologue. 
Yeah, to your point about the robot stuff, it was so fun because it started out with him doing this weird voice. Like, look at these curvy letters. Much curvier than most letters, wouldn't you say? And then as you talked about, it sort of deviates into this weird troll-esque poem where they're just talking about like how they set up all these things of like, oh, if you must best me, you must find all the pictures that have a stop sign in them. Just such a great But I mean, here's the thing. like, I, he, It's clear he rehearsed this stuff. You know, He definitely seems, I would say... In terms of in comparisons to other stand-ups, like someone like a Kevin Hart, for example, he's a little less casual. I mean, he comes out in a suit to boot, but the fact of the matter is he's such a good storyteller and he has such good setups with all of his jokes that that was the perfect way to end not only that riff, but the entire monologue. Yeah, and those are those storyteller comedians that they're hard to quote, like when you're repeating them to your friends afterwards. It's hard to do Mulaney justice. Like, he doesn't just throw out a punchline. It's like a a Norm MacDonald where he'll just ramble for 10 minutes about a story about how he killed a girl in a white van and buried her in a shallow grave. It's like, you can't can't repeat that joke because it's too too intricate. So it's, again, the type of stuff that you – that really jumps out to me about Mulaney. Like you said, he's a storyteller, and it's not about so much the punchline as it is about the process of getting there, which is really a tricky thing to do. So let's start to talk about John Mulaney as not only a comedian, but an SNL performer. And we start right off the bat here with a drag brunch with Mario. I'm not sure if you know, is an actual thing as someone who, uh, you know, follows at least the RuPaul's Drag Race scene and some of the drag scene as well. That's something that definitely happens in New York where drag queens will sort of serve you food on the weekends. And here we have John Mulaney as Tawny Pockets. Uh, and the initial joke is that there are four people at the table, and one person, you know, while they're throwing shade to them, one person is getting it real, real hard in an intense way. Of course, then it sort of spins to this narrative about how John was actually going undercover in drag because he was an intern who Alex Moffat's character spurned five years ago. So as someone who's not really into the drag scene, Mario, what did you think about the sketch, especially as the first post-monologue sketch? Yeah, I mean, whether this is a real thing or not, I don't think really makes much of a difference to the sketch. I I really liked about 80% of the sketch. I, I love the concept behind it that, you know, she just throws sassy shade at three of them, and the other one she gets really personal with. <laughs> and I, just from a comedy perspective, I would have liked if they would have kept that and not gone to the intern stuff, and there was just no explanation for it. I think that would have been funnier. I thought they, they softened it a little at the end. In fact, this was probably what I thought was the week, one of the weaker sketches of the night. And again, that's not saying this is a bad sketch in that just the other ones were so strong and so confident in their material. I just thought this one, they kind of changed it up at the end and there was almost no ending to the sketch. That's again, I always bring that up on this podcast when it's, when a sketch has no ending this one, you, it was clear they had no ending and they're just like Mulaney looking confused. Like, huh? Like it was, it was a, a very abrupt ending. And I wish this one hadn't been first, but then again, if you want your show to build and build and build, I can, I'm happy with the stronger stuff being later. I don't know. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I actually like the stronger stuff in the beginning because I could understand the justification behind it. Again, that's sort of like the improv part of me is like, oh, this is fun to sort of create justification instead of just weird for the sake of being weird. I mean, I just loved specifically the writing and John Mulaney's cold, deadpan delivery of looking directly into <laughs> Alex Moffat's eyes and saying, you never worked for anything in your life. Uh, and or specifically, when was the last time someone smiled when you walked into a room? That just it reminded me of um, the from the Will Ferrell episode when he is the flight attendant in this season. And he talks about mm-hmm. how, you know, he does the nice little safety song, but he keeps talking about how, you know, God's not real and how he's sort of come to that dark term. So I thought we were going in that direction, but it turns out it's much more 
nefarious purposes. So I feel like it lost a little bit of steam once we got the actual reveal, even though, you know, Mulaney, which will sort of be a recurring bit throughout this episode, as you mentioned, really committed to it. But I will say, if we're sorry, you know, if this is a, a center that a sketch that puts John Mulaney front and center, quite literally, I thought he did a good job with it. Absolutely. And he he's front and center in almost every single sketch in this episode. And that's the thing. You don't realize that how much he, how much work he was doing out there tonight. But yeah, this was one I just all I wrote in my notes for this one at the end is just, wow, that was a total writer's sketch. It was just this weird, esoteric, dark concept. And again, I'm going to write that for almost every sketch tonight. Writer's sketch, writer's sketch, writer's sketch. So, yeah, it was a it was a fun way to start the show again, just with no strong ending. So let's move on here to uh, National School Walkout Day. So yeah, this is an interesting one because it also comes like a good while after the actual na- National School Walkout <laughs> Day happened. But essentially, uh, you know, Mulaney is one of these kids who helped organize this walkout day in protest of gun violence. But it turns out in the exact moment where they're supposed to stand up and walk out, he gets a boner. Uh, Mulaney also known for some of his work in the puberty era uh, area, considering that he is, helps uh, write and star in a show on Netflix called Big Mouth, which is animated starring him and Nick Kroll about these teenagers dealing with puberty. But essentially, the, I would say the entire sketch was about him trying to, like, contain that embarrassment, but we kind of blipped around the classroom and got about <laughs> nine or ten different stories over the course of this sketch. What did you think of this one? Uh, this, to me, was like a very long way to go for a sketch that was just about a boner joke. And it, was, it, it ate up a lot of airtime. And I will just just put on my producer hat and think the reason this sketch turned out the way that it is is, and I don't know if this is true or not, I'm just going to guess, that the whole rest of the show is like John Mulaney, John Mulaney, John Mulaney. This is the one sketch where everyone kind of got a little punchline, where everyone got to feel like they, they were participating in the rest of the show. And that's the one thing that kind of stood out to me when I'm watching it, that everyone gets their one little line, their one little thing. And some of them are very funny. Like I like the one about uh, Pete Davidson saying, you know, this is on – you shouldn't have scheduled this on 420. I'm double booked today. Yeah. But the thing that really jumps out to me is that everyone gets this – it's a very democratic thing where everyone got a little character, a little punchline. In a sketch that was a little too long, it didn't need to be as long as it was. But it just seems to me it was kind of a bone that Lauren might have thrown to the rest of the cast this week. Yeah, it definitely felt like an ensemble sketch, which I didn't expect it to be starting out. Uh, you, usually those classroom sketches aren't really ensemble sketches. I mean, I feel like we're, we were going to get our ensemble sketch in the very last moment of the night here with the, the, the reality TV intro. So it was interesting to me that we kept going around the room, to your point. I will say a couple highlights, though. I did like Pete's. I liked Kate. You know, whenever you have Kate doing a funny accent, <laughs> I always love it. But her specificities about Sweden, about how, you know, we should become <laughs> like Sweden, an ice country of 1,200 people, and one giant we call Trollnavirer. Uh, I thought she pulled that off. I don't know. I, I love Heidi. I don't know if necessarily the uh, the this the monologue was doing anything for me. I think my favorite might have been Alex Moffat's because that was very very dark about how his uh, his dad took him into the woods and shot at a gopher until it became red dust. And then uh, two years later, when I finally spoke again, I said guns. Uh, and, I, and then just cutting to Keenan's face after that. Again, that's why they write it in the script. So. I thought that it started with an interesting idea that sort of went off in a completely different direction, but then they sort of honed it back in when you had Leslie come in as the principal, uh, which gets Mulaney aroused, and then when she squashes the bug with her heel, it took care of itself the other way, which is probably all you can get rid of, uh, all you can get away with pre-update. Uh, you know, that's why jizz in my pants happened after update when it first aired. 
Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, there's a lot of stuff in this sketch that made me laugh. I just thought it was kind of oddly paced. And yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, Heidi, when she did her little monologue, she basically was doing her uh, YouTube reviewer. It was like the exact same voice yeah, and Bailey character. Gilsmart, yeah, yeah, Bailey. But there's a couple really great lines in this. So again, just it's even though it was a stupid boner joke sketch, there was a lot more writer's stuff in here. Like you said, Kate stealing the show for randomly with bomb, uh, bagging on Sweden in the middle of a classroom <laughs> sketch. But uh, the the line where uh, uh, what is it? Uh, John Mulaney says, "Old people shouldn't vote." If you're about to leave the restaurant, you don't order for the table. Which yeah. is a wonderful dark comment that really has no business in a sketch like this. But again, he just threw it in there because he wrote it. So, yeah, there was this sketch was better than it had any rights to be. But I do think it ate up a couple too much airtime. And there was some other stuff that could have crammed into the show if they shortened this. Like there's one uh, you showed me the uh, the cut sketch, the wedding toast in particular. I think they could have wedged in here if they sh- shaved this one down a little bit. Yeah, and there was some fun stuff even around the Mulaney stuff too. Like specifically, I liked when. 80 tried to rationalize it by saying, like, oh, you don't want to stand up because you are you want to protest the fact that all these, you know, students of color go through even more prejudice than we do. So you go down to Thurgood Marshall High School and you say, I know this thing is hard and upsetting and pretty darn crooked, but if we roll up our sleeves, we can beat it together. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't end the sketch or, like, cut to Leslie coming in around that time. I guess they wanted to pad it out a little bit, but I think it was still enjoyable, albeit maybe a little wayward sometimes let's get to our first pre-tape of the night here it is uh i wouldn't even say a trait i don't know if it's a trailer or i guess it's uh, a montage from the netflix documentary series wild wild country i don't know if you know it mario uh it's a documentary that hit netflix last month about uh this community called i think it's Rajneeshpuram, uh where this like indian guru came in and really formed like a cult that bought out this tract of land and he had this very charismatic assistant who ends up you know in the scene padron makes an appearance in playing her then things got very you know um controversial with the town people and so it it ended up building to like almost a militant climax where there was a hotel bombing and then the the community members got armed it was just I mean, I haven't watched it, but I've read about the situation, and it is insane. So all that being said, what did you feel about this pre-tape sort of highlighting maybe the more lascivious sides of this community? Uh, first off, was that in Oregon when that happened, the Rajneesh yeah. stuff? Okay, yeah, I just I, I grew up very near there. I remember hearing about it in the news. I remember at some point they, like, poisoned or they uh, put, like, uh, bacteria samples in the restaurant. Yeah, she poisoned or, like, she use biological warfare on a salad bar in one of the local restaurants and poison a good amount of people. Yeah. Again, I remember that as a kid, that was very scary because people were like getting 300 people or something got sick before a big election. Anyway, nothing to do with the sketch, but yeah, the sketch was fun. I liked it. It was again, a Keenan showcase, obviously I thought it was very well put together. I liked the jokes, but um, yeah, I just, I just wrote kind of my, in my comments. Yeah, it was okay. I guess it was, if you take out Keenan and you take out the surprise Nassim Pedrad uh, cameo, there wasn't a whole lot to this one, I don't think. Yeah, I thought the performances were good in terms of, I think it was AD and Beck were playing like the reformed cultists, and you had the others who were playing the disgruntled town members. It was cool to see Nassim in here, sort of random, but Nassim also has this sort of relation with Mulaney. She was a prominent role on his much belittled and uh, dearly bereaved sitcom that happened several years ago. In fact, that's why she left SNL was to do Mulaney. So I'm happy that they brought her back to do that. And yeah, the joke about, you know, I just wanted to get, there was a lot of ass there. It, it was, it's a fine premise. albeit a little simple. I thought Keenan did a good job here. And I thought as per usual with the pre-tapes, the production value behind it was good. 
But this one is fine. Maybe it's because I, I haven't seen Wild Wild Country yet. Again, I know about the situation, but I haven't actually seen the documentary as to know whether it's actually, you know, how accurate they were with their depictions of everything. But I thought it, I thought it was a fun concept. Yeah, and it's... Nothing against this sketch. This just isn't one of these standout sketches that people are going to be talking about this show. And like when they rerun this episode in five, ten years, this is the one thing they'll probably get cut because it might have been a little too topical to what was going on at the time. But yeah, nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. They put a ton of work into the production production values, making it look like a real documentary. I have nothing bad to say about it other than it's just not one of the standout things of tonight. So let's move on to something that, you know, to your point about what sketches will people be talking about the next day? From what I can see, a lot of people have been obsessing over this next sketch. And I'll admit, myself <laughs> included, my favorite sketch of this episode is this Big Neat Nick's Greek Lobster Diner musical. You were already laughing as I just talk <laughs> about this. I just want to get your pure thoughts on this tomfoolery. Yeah, my pure thoughts on this one is as I'm watching this, it starts off small. It's just about a diner and a guy rent, uh, wants to order a lobster in the diner. And then it just escalates and starts building and building. And I just kind of wrote in my notes, what the F is this sketch? <laughs> and I'm enjoying it. I, read, it's, I just wrote it's super ambitious and I'm laughing. And again, there's some technical flaws that really screwed it up in the, the live version. I'm sure they'll be fixed in the edit. But the whole time as I'm watching the sketch, I'm like, this is the one. This is the one everyone will be talking about tomorrow. And again, I, I'm not really a, a stage musical or Les Mis fan, but I know enough about it. I know they, uh, when Anne Hathaway hosted a couple years ago, they did a Les Mis mm -hmm. uh, monologue, a singing monologue, which is one of my favorite singing things they've ever done on the show. So I really appreciated this sketch. And you could tell how much fun they were having. Like, everyone's cracking left and right. Cecily busted at one time. Pete was giggling. Chris was giggling. Like, they were all losing it. They knew that they were participating in something big and epic on SNL, and you don't get that a lot lately. And so it's just one of those, like, yeah, this this wasn't my personal favorite show in the sketch in the, in the episode, just because there was some technical flaws and it was kind of sloppy at times. But man, was it ambitious, and a man did I appreciate what they were going for. So to give some background, this lobster diner sketch was something that Mulaney did pull out of the chest. This was something that him and Colin Jost, now head writer, wrote all the way back in 2010 that never made it the light of day. But now they brought it up now, which is why it seems so random that... And I love the idea initially because I'm... Def, I mean, it's pretty much common knowledge of, like, don't order seafood at a diner. That's not what they're known for. You don't know where that's been. And it turns out... I thought for a second when we brought out the tank we were going to get a Shape of Water parody, which we'll talk about later on, could have very well been in the show. But then I'm like... Is Keenan wearing like a Jean Valjean jacket and a beard? <laughs> and then the Who Am I music comes in. And I'm just, I mean, I think the AV Club uh, reviewer for this episode wrote it best when he talked about how, you know, when Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip came out, there was an episode where Aaron Sorkin decided to do a cold open where, uh, in response to all the uh, critical ravagings of the first episode of the show within a show, they went on and sang. I, uh, I am the very model of a modern major general parody song in the cold open. And that one wasn't very funny. And this on paper could be in the same line as that, but it was just so silly. So <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, especially, I think I was one over when uh, Closet, <laughs> played by Kate McKinnon, comes out and sings like Castle on a Cloud parody. And I haven't, I didn't take down a lot of the lyrics. I want to watch it again, but. Even just him singing, Who Am I, Lobster Number One, uh, the final song being, Do You Hear the Lobster Scream? I just love the fact that they completely break the fourth wall by 
bringing out a barricade, and then bringing out a bunch of cast members who aren't even dressed as waiters. They're dressed like characters in Les Mis. There's these small touches like Alex Moffat waving the flag, but the flag are a bunch of taped together menus for the diner. (laughs) And then the entire time you also have... uh, uh, you have these little straight man lines, like when Pete and Chris are able to keep straight faces, they say, you know, wow, this restaurant has great set design. It was just <laughs> so well done. Even amidst the technical gaffes that you were talking about in the in the initial broadcast, this was just so ridiculous, but so well executed at the same time that it absolutely hit the mark 100% for me. Yeah, and I, I, I am very curious to see when they clean this one up and they fix the technical gaffes and they'll probably run the dress rehearsal version of part of it or something, how good it's going to be. Because again, you you you're kind of thrown off by the technical gaps, but that doesn't that doesn't negate how amazing the sketch is, and it's just one of those that, like, I'm I'm forever searching for sketches that I can show to people that don't watch SNL. Like when I'm saying how good the show is when it's at its peak, this is one of those things that non SNL fans will probably appreciate, and it's these things that go viral from time to time on the on the on the internet, and people are always like, "Whoa, SNL is still on the air." I'm like, "Well, of course it's on the air. They're always pulling off stuff like this from time to time." Yeah, so I just. I could not have been happier to see this one. Just it was so ambitious. And again, it was kind of buried in there as like the fourth sketch of the night. I was like, wow, I'm surprised they didn't lead off with that one. And I do have to mention once again, this is something I wrote about in my SNL Funny 115 website. These current cast and the last cast, just very strong in the singing aspect of the show. So many Mm -hmm. people that have strong voices and good singers, and this one really uh, walked right into their strengths, that everyone got to show off their voice, they got to do production values, you can tell they were all a bunch of old theater kids, most of the cast, Mm -hmm. and yeah, they were having so much fun, and it just translated to the screen, and this is one I haven't... uh, I haven't uh, rewatched this sketch yet since the first time, but I, I'm dying right after the show to go back and watch it again because, again, this is the one that this show will be remembered for. Yeah, I, I rewatched uh, the both the live version and the uh, the updated version. The updated version, I would say, pretty much irons out anything. I mean, in true theatrical fashion, things go wrong, but I do. Th- I think they cut in the dress rehearsal version for like the second half of the episode, uh, mm-hmm. but it just it, it plays so so well. Two claws up for the Lobster Diner sketch. Let's move into our musical guest here. Now, unfortunately, Wolf from America is a little under the weather, so he couldn't send in his recorded response, but he did write his response to me that I will try to dictate back to you all out there his thoughts on this week's musical guest, Jack White. Will says, Unlike Cardi B last week, I imagine Jack White won't require much of an introduction for most of our audience. He's been an incredibly influential guitarist and songwriter since the early 2000s as part of the White Stripes. I loved his first song over and over and over. He brought a lot of energy to the stage, and it's always fun to see artists do something unconventional with the sound equipment. Jack had three different microphones, with two of them set up to put a different effect on his voice. The vocals of both Jack and the backup singers were way too far down in the sound mix, proving I will never go a week without complaining about the sound mixing on SNL. I loved the emotion and passion behind the second song, Connected by Love, as well. I'm always here for a badass organ solo, and the way nearly everything dropped out instrumentally near the end was a nice change of pace. Some people in the YouTube comments section said Jack White looked pissed at the sound guy during the song, which I find hysterical and I want to believe it. Next episode has Childish Gambino performing, which is very exciting since he's currently on Survivor as well. I'll talk to you guys then. Uh, so I, I agree with Will in terms of the actual stuff that Jack White uh, put forward on the show. I, I think the second song in particular was very... He almost brought like the dramatics out of it, which is weird to say considering that his first song introduced that three microphone concept. But there's like one moment where everything literally drops 
including himself, and they sort of rise back up. It's a little stagey, but overall, I think, you know, Jack White did a good job. He shredded those guitar notes and everything. Did you have any thoughts on Jack White? No, just to say that it was nice that it wasn't fucking Cardi B out there. <laughs> Gotta keep <laughs> digging that hole for yourself, Mario. <laughs> no, I, he was good. I like. I, I know Jack White. I know his songs. I listened to it. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I have to go back and watch it to see if he really was pissed at the uh, sound guy. That's funny. I'll have to watch for that. And again, I will say, once again, I loved his work in Galaxy Quest. He was very good in there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to Weekend Update this week. Uh, overall thoughts on Weekend Update for you? Uh, this week, I thought it was especially strong. I really uh, I thought most of their jokes hit. I thought they were, as always, having a good time out there. Um, usually, I, I've noticed in my in my notes, I generally circle more Colin Joe's jokes that I think are especially strong. But this week, it was kind of back and forth between the two. I thought they were good. I'm looking at my notes here, ones that I thought were especially funny. The 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 Michael Shea teacher having sex with the student joke, and even where she had to pay for her own supplies, showing the picture of the condoms. I like the audience absolutely not getting behind that joke at all. Yeah. And Shay basically pulling out a Mitch Hedberg line. Uh, that joke was better than you acted, which I, which I appreciate. Yeah, it was a good one. I like the uh, two correspondents. Going into them, I didn't think that uh, Laura Ingram or La- uh, LeVar Ball would be all that interesting to watch. But just through the sheer ferociousness of their performances, I think Kate sold me on Laura. And Keenan really sold me on LeVar Ball. I really liked him at the end. So it. Overall, I thought it was a very strong part of the show. Yeah, I will say that starting off, I thought it was fine. I mean, they were making jokes that I felt like we've heard before, like, you know, Michael Cohen realized that he was going to be in trouble when he realized he was Trump's lawyer. You know, I feel like that sort of jokes have been circulating throughout the week when the news broke. I feel like once we sort of got into, again, the interesting perspectives, like Chase saying that, don't you think the president being into pee is kind of charming? Uh, I thought, again, like, he always goes for the unconventional approach. And I think maybe my favorite of the... Uh, the two that Joe's talking about how uh, people who stay up late tend to have like more psychological disorders and have a greater chance of dying. So if you're watching this live right now, I'll see your crazy ass in hell. <laughs> okay, one more Michael Shea one that really jumped out at me. The yoga with the goats. People, there's a new studio where you can do yoga with a pet goat near you. And the way it works is it doesn't. <laughs> Which I, That's such a Michael Shea line. But what sold it was that it cut back to Colin, who I don't know if he thought there was another joke he was going to do or, like, he just didn't th- – because it seemed to be pretty involved in his paperwork. But, like, it cut to him, like, not even realizing the camera was on him. And it was just a nice – like, yes, technical gaps occur, but this was a nice fun one where, like, you could tell how razzed he was about it. And it just – the audience was just having a ball with it. Yeah, his mind was off somewhere in some gazebo somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> since, been there since 1853. Well, let's talk about the two correspondents that you mentioned. Let's start with Laura Ingraham, who uh, comes on and talks about, you know, she has got herself into a lot of controversy recently by, you know, throwing her own shade a la a drag brunch waitress towards uh, David Hogg, one of the Parkland survivors. And now she talks about her new sponsors on the show. I will say this feels a little bit copy and pasted from Big Poppy, something David Ortiz would do. But I will mm-hmm. say, I think that, there were some fun ones in here, and I do think that Kate's, you know, we see Kate do a lot of political stuff, but I think what I'm liking about her Laura Ingram was that it was very slow and slurred, and I've, I've watched a good amount of her, and you, you sort of, she sort of had that, has that tone down as well, so I give Kate a lot of credit to your point earlier that she kind of won me over because this impression felt different from the other stuff that she does. 
Yeah, and again, this is this really isn't even a political piece. This is just a character piece. Her just just uh, exploring different types of comedy and delivery and stuff. So yeah, it was like you said, it's kind of cut and paste stuff they've done before, but just her delivery on some of those lines, like one of our sponsors is Reverse Mortgage. We'll take that house now. Yes, which I just like the way she sold that. That was that's a that's kind of a tough joke to make work. You have to word it just right. Yeah, that was by far my favorite sponsor, even though uh, the Malaysian Airlines coupled with her actually miming the Malaysian Airlines might might be a good one, too. <laughs> and cream soda, which I will be uh, be jo- enjoying a delicious cream soda with Mike Bloom after this episode. Oh, yeah. And our gazebo. We're going to love it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I want to talk about LeVar Ball because in theory, I agree with you that, you know, LeVar Ball, we've seen him. This is our his third time appearing on the season. We last saw him in the Sam Rockwell episode, I think, back in January. And on paper, you're like, okay, to quote Rich Tackenberg, this is Mad Libs. It's the same thing over and over again. But damn it, every time they bring LeVar Ball out, I just love it. And maybe (laughs) because it's Keenan's wacky delivery. Maybe it's because of the fact that they made this man a complete caricature, which is saying something by LeVar Ball standards. I like this one in particular because... They did start out with sort of like the same territory with him talking about how his son had 100 assists, 500 touchdowns, and is certified 100% by Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, He's talking about his Mexican child, La Biblioteca, which is so (laughs) stupid but so funny. But I think the strongest part by far was him going into this different area talking about the junior varsity basketball league that he's starting on his own and just how grody he is. So give me your thoughts on LeVar Ball. I don't know much about LeVar Ball other than he's just this overbearing uh, athletic parent, which, again, having been through Little League and and I actually ran my Little League here in Upland, California, like parents like that are a dime a dozen. So I get that. These parents are just pains in the ass. So I I, I understand. So I don't have to know the specifics to know what he's doing. But, yeah, it's I really hope people appreciate how good Keenan Thompson is at sketch comedy. And that's the thing. He's so good at playing characters, getting into a character, reacting to other people. He sells people's jokes as good as just about anybody I've ever seen. But in this one where he's just basically doing monologues and he's doing funny stuff. And again, I don't even care who the character is. They could be talking about someone fictional for all I care. He is so funny and so good at selling these jokes. And you don't I don't know if he gets that kind of respect. So it's the uh, again, this. This is not that funny on paper. It's 100% Keenan's delivery. And when he starts going into his criticism of the Super 8 Motel, which I've stayed at many times, I have enjoyed their uh, hospitality many times in my life. I, everything he says is exactly correct about the Continental Breakfast coming out of the, what, the little screw top. Yeah, it shows like three cereals fresh from the screw cap. <laughs> That's exactly true. And like, what did they say? The, the shredded mini wheats, never with the frosting, never with the, or something like that. But it's like, that is absolutely true. And I just, again, I just, the material's strong and the, the performer doing it is even stronger. So I just, I just wish people would uh, appreciate Keenan and, and rewatch this one in particular to watch how he sells material that not everyone could have made funny. Yeah, I think my favorite part actually might have been him talking about his league that he has, which they have no high schoolers, but he has people like a mailman wearing compression socks, a Dominican <laughs> dishwasher in blue jeans, and just a Rottweiler just running around. Like, that's almost a Stefan Esklis, but again, the specificity of it really wins me over. I could say that, like, again, we go back to the Mad Libs a bit with him going back to his new sandal, because I feel like we go back to the shoes all the time, but I understand that's sort of part of LeVar Ball as a human, but I gotta say, you know, three times in, I think that you know, Keenan is uh, is has found a new character. I think he struck gold with LeVar Ball personally, which I uh, 
I think LeVar Ball should hopefully be striking gold sometime soon because he probably is in a buttload of debt considering how much he's invested in his children. <laughs> yeah, and again, what, what you said about Rich saying that these are Mad Lib. Yeah, they kind of are, but, like, wouldn't you sit there and watch Will Ferrell do Mad Libs? Like, a really strong performer, I don't think it really matters. You're just enjoying the fact that you get to see them in their peak. So that's I don't mind the Mad Lib aspect if the performer is that good at it. And Keenan is. That's I'll just say it flat out. I Every time he's on Update, I started it on my first show here where I said that Willie is one of my favorite things on the show ever. I mean, this guy, LeVar Ball, is right up there, too. And I don't even care who LeVar Ball is. I just want to watch Keenan. All right, well, let's segue out of our update here and start with, uh, staying on the update note, Hollywood update, as we have Cecily interviewing the uh, showrunner of the new reboot of 1987's Switcheroo, which in true Mulaney fashion goes down a dark, dark <laughs> rabbit hole when, as he says, uh, this is a show that uh, focuses on a father and son switching bodies, but unlike other instances, it focuses exclusively on the sexual ramifications of the switcheroo. I'm Mario, I can assume this was in your wheelhouse, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, he's fo- you said he's focusing just on the sexual ramifications. It's more than that. It's, again, people have mentioned that Mario likes big picture jokes. The big picture joke is that aspect has always been there in these body switching movies. They just never mentioned it. But it's, it's a dark thing that's always been behind them. Like, who the, who's banging who in these movies? So he just kind of focuses on that. Well, let's let's talk about the dark part of these movies that nobody has ever mentioned before. I, I just This one went down such a dark path, and Mulaney sold it. And I have to give uh, a lot of credit to Cecily here for selling his jokes. Just it's really her horrified reaction as we go darker and darker into this. And I will say there's a sketch this one kind of reminded me of. Um, let's see if you'll be able to identify it about... 10 years ago or so, Tracy Morgan hosted, and they were talking about a movie. Oh, is it, uh, yeah, the the dog, right? Rocket Dog! Yeah. Yeah, it was exactly like that, where it was just, the movie's getting horrible and horrible, and more more, more dogs are being killed and incinerated and flown into mountains, and it was just, I think, Kristen Wiig just selling it by getting more and more horrified, and that was very similar to this one. But yeah, this is right up my alley. This is maybe my favorite sketch of the night. This or the horn one next. I just loved how what a odd writer's sketch it was and how they kept doubling down. Like it's getting bad and it's getting worse. And then the part where they, they've moved the shoot to Porto Prince where yeah. what the, the diplomat of the country says, no money can make me forget God's laws. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a writer's joke line. And again, I just say, yeah, I can't say enough about the sketch and it's not one that would be for everyone. And I don't know if the audience was really behind this one either, but I was behind this one. This was great for me. So this is another one from the archives. Simon Rich, Marika Sawyer, and uh, and Bellini wrote this all the way back in 2009. But yeah, I mean, for me, throwaway line of the entire episode was Bellini just offhandedly referencing that the actor who played the son in the original Switcheroo was Andrew Cunanan, who, for those of you that don't know, was the man who went on the killing spree, uh, most famously murdering Gianni Versace before killing himself. So it's just, it's so... Random, but such a great indicator, a good, nice microcosm of just the humor of John Mulaney. I think he completely sold this, as well as his matter-of-factness. And even past the port of print stuff, the fact that they moved the production to now Jonestown is just a great button on that as well. I agree that Cecily was a great straight woman in all this. You have this weird rationality, too, where he talks about how, you know, he had so many influences, including that time when his mother washed his penis with scalding hot water. Just this this is textbook Mulaney, considering that he directly wrote it. It totally makes sense. But I, I really enjoyed the absurd darkness that happened throughout this sketch. I'm happy that we also didn't 
I feel like in these uh, TV show sketches, sometimes we cut too much back to the TV show. I like that we only got it once, where it was Heidi, you know, saying, uh, telling Beck and the son in the, in the dad's body of like, oh, tonight's our special night when we're, where we try, and you hear just Beck say, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that was honestly all it needed. So I, I really enjoyed this one. I'm happy they were able to dust this one off. I thought this was fantastic. Yeah, and again, more props to Heidi being featured in a sketch. I'm always hoping to get her in more stuff. And the line at the end, we're doing a crossover episode next with Dateline. Like, oh, that's a wonderful one. <laughs> and I have to say, you mentioned the Andrew Cannon line. Uh, did you catch how nobody in the audience got that joke? It's like there's one one lone laugh out in the crowd, and they just they just zoom right past it. It's interesting because you would think that, like, especially considering that the uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace was covered on the most recent season of American Crime Story by Ryan Murphy, that like Andrew Cannon's name would be brought back to life, but. I guess not, but that's fine. Melania can sort of live in that. It also, this sketch reminded me a bit of, I know in, I think it's the Comeback Kid, uh, the 2015 special, he does this entire riff about how Back to the Future, the pitch for it must have been completely ridiculous. So again, he does this great job of sort of breaking down these basics into really insane things when you think about them, and this is a great indicator of that. That's funny that you mentioned that. I just read a book on Back to the Future where... They were saying how hard it was to pitch that movie where because it was way too racy. Disney wanted to do it, but then they wouldn't touch it because it had the mom having sex with her kid. They're like, absolutely not. So it really was a a, tri- a trial and tribulation to get that movie ever made in the first place because it is a lot dirtier if you think about it. Well, let's move on. Speaking of dirty, let's move on to two of probably the grossest people on SNL coming <laughs> together to meet with John Mulaney's plastic surgeon here, horn removal and – this is our, you know, Luke Knoll got a little bit of moments in the uh, in the National Walkout Day sketch, but this is really Luke's time to shine amidst some Hellboy-like prosthetics. Uh, so we we got Heidi even more front and center in this sketch, Mario. So I have to assume that you you talked a bit before about how you enjoyed it, right? Yeah, and this is one absolutely bombed with the audience. They wanted nothing to do with this sketch. It was too weird for them. And again. SNL audiences are not especially sophisticated. They just eat up the punchline, you know, set up a template, hit them, rant the, the famous recurring character, do the punchline. They love that stuff. This this sketch had nothing like that, and it was very similar to the last sketch where it's just this weird scenario that's going to escalate and escalate and escalate. And again, it's just a absolute writer's sketch. I was laughing this entire one because they were selling the hell out of it, and they were going for it. And, you know, you could tell this was one that Mulaney probably fought for. And yeah, the, the audience just did not want any part of this one. And just the uh, kind of the masochist part of me enjoys the fact when the SNL audience has to sit through a sketch they clearly are uncomfortable with and hate. And this is one you could just almost feel the active hate reeling off them in the crowd. But yeah, it was Heidi out there doing a great job. I, I am a big fan of Luke Knoll. I love Luke. I thought Mulaney absolutely sold this. And what really jumped out about this sketch is there was a writer on the season or on the show a couple years ago, and they hired him and they brought him on as a cast member for one year. And he pulled off some of my favorite dark, weird sketches of that era. And his name was Tim Robinson. Mm. And then they dumped him after that. And I'm like, why would you dump? He was the only guy, only guy doing anything interesting on that show. And this felt like something Tim Robinson would have written. Like I could absolutely see Tim Robinson as the guy with the horns in there. This is something he would have done. So I... I am unabashed saying I love this sketch. It may have been my favorite. It was either this, the lobster one, or the last one with the with the uh, the switcheroo. Um, I'm curious what you think about this one because I'm guessing the reactions to this one will be a little polarizing. 
Yeah, I mean, I was not a huge fan of it. I think my favorite part was Mulaney as the straight man. Like, sort of straight man, because he had some weird stuff that he threw in there. But I love just cutting back to his reaction every time, especially when he finds out that, for example, Heidi Gardner's Trina uh, got her butt cheeks removed as a prank. Like, I loved him sort of doubling down on that. Again, another great throwaway line. You know, I ask that you not huff paint in my office. It's not me. It's the building. Uh, so just the, the little bit of absurdity coming in there as well. But I think John did actually a really... It was very rare that John was the straight man in a lot of these sketches, which is, is again, a good sign of a host that if the SNL trusts in you, they'll put you more as the crazy person in the sketch than the straight person because they know that you have the capacity to act a little weirder in that regard. So I thought he did a good job here in a role that we didn't usually see him over the course of the night. And I thought that Luke and Heidi did a good job. I wonder if maybe if somebody else was in Luke's place. Maybe it would have been a little funnier. I liked Heidi's character. Her character reminded me of the Gal Gadot episode where she plays Mm -hmm. this, like, unruly teen. She definitely pulled out that sort of affectation playing this weirdo Trina. I don't know. But despite the prosthetics, I just... I can't imagine Luke being this sort of, like, crazy guy who has a battery up his nose and his calves are open. I think the imagery was gross, but again, the more specific it got, the funnier it got. I mean, again, I would say the cold open was probably my least favorite part of the entire episode, but I would say the horn removal might be the second to last. And we'll talk about those cut-for-time sketches at the end, but I feel like if we're doing one-for-one sub-in for Luke Knoll-based sketches, give me that wedding toast above this one. Yeah, what I'm hoping is there's a couple people out there that are listening to this podcast, and they're going to email me. You know, Mario, I was right there with you. I love that sketch, and I don't care if other people didn't like it, because I've seen already some comments on YouTube about this sketch saying, why was that even on the air? And I just, I love the double downingness of it, where they just kept doubling down, double down. We're gonna make it worse. We're gonna make it worse. And then it's all just wordplay, like the calves with the meat holes. And like I've always found huffing paint to be a underrated comic trope. That I love uh, stuff when they threw stuff like that in. Like the goat at the petting zoo tried to challenge me. Mm-hmm. Like again, I could, I just, I could swear I could see this was one that Mulaney really fought for, and he probably had to, you know, in a goat parlance, had to butt heads with Lauren a little bit here. But yeah, I just it's it's one that I can't even explain why I like this one so much other than I just like that it existed and this isn't the type of sketch you normally see on the air. This is a Tim Robinson 10 to 1 sketch that that a certain type of the audience is going to love and I did and I'm really hoping there's a couple people who are going to write me and say they agree with me on this one cuz again, this wasn't the funniest but it was a it was a different style of comedy for SNL and I appreciate when they do different. Well, let's move on to our final sketch of the night here, which surprisingly is a pre-tape, but it's uh, in the style of the multitude of Real Housewives shows that exist on the Bravo Network right off, right after Andy Cohen's endoscopy cam. Uh, we get a series of just introductions from a variety of different characters. Now, this rings very much to me like, you know, the audition sketches that we get for the celebrity impersonations, where it really truly is an ensemble type of sketch to sort of finish things off. I'm going to make an assumption that you're not really a key demo for these types of shows, but despite not having a lot of experience watching them, what did you think about this sketch? Yeah, in general, when there's something like a Bravo or Real Housewives or reality TV, I'll just kind of only half pay attention. But now that you have, at gunpoint with my family kidnapped, put me on the air and made me talk Mm -hmm. about these sketches, now I'm forced to watch the entire episode and listen to people like Cardi B. So now I will watch these... uh, (laughs) These sketches. Now, I thought this was really funny, actually. Like, I I don't really care about anything on the Bravo channel, but as a standalone sketch, some of the little lines and stuff are really funny. And again, this is kind of a writer's piece again. Like, 
you we we know we don't have storylines. We just boiled every person down to two sentences, which is really very telling for what happens on reality TV these days as it gets trashier and trashier. So, yeah, I thought this was good. It was better than it should have been. Yeah, and I think there were some fun. The good thing about these ensemble sketches are that even if some miss, some really do hit. I think my favorite might be uh, might well probably, and the reason why they keep cutting back to it is because it's successful. Is John Mulaney's twin brothers, and just <laughs> I'm assuming that he wrote all his own lines here because they're so good. They like you know I'm as gay, I'm as gay as my brother, and the other one says I'm as gay as my wife. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think my favorite might have been we're so close we finish each other off jealous <laughs> the jealous I think is a great cap at the end like our family our prisons named after our family jealous I think that and I I got on board by the end with Leslie being like the 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 Jewish. Uh, like woman with attitude. I think it's a typical Leslie role, but I think by the end when they actually cut to the three seconds of drama with Ye- Leslie yelling, is this wine kosher? Kind of sold it on me by the end. Yeah, it was a strong way to end the show and it ends the show on a laugh. So yeah, go for it. It was, again, a very strong ending to what I think is a very strong episode. Bravo to everybody all around. And I will also give credit to 80s uh, character as well. Between her two sound bites, the South will rise again, but when I stand up too fast, I pass out. And a really dark one, I give my son's open mouth kisses and I go to third with my dog. Don't worry, he gives it to me. Just, whew, the more you think about that one, the tougher it gets. But I totally agree. Bravo to the Bravo. And bravo to this episode in general. And I, I will also give a huge bravo to poor John Mulaney uh, got his goodbyes cut off halfway through. But I thought he did a really great service by not only thanking the cast but really paying special kudos to the writers the set designers the makeup designers the costume designers as someone who works behind the scenes he knows firsthand how each and every person contributes to that show and how many unsung heroes there are so i thought it was a very rare moment for someone to truly acknowledge each and every person that contributes to making an episode of snl happen so i'm so glad he gave he gave them the the lip service even though i guess the cable service providers did not give it the lip service it deserved (laughs) The sketch comedy show has incredible set design. <laughs> yes, they barricaded his language by the end. <laughs> I want to go through a couple of these cut for time sketches. So two of them are on the SNL YouTube page, so I would encourage you to check them out. We talked about this first one a little bit. It's called Wedding Toast. So it's John Mulaney and Cecily Strong getting married, and Luke Knoll as the best man decided to prepare a song. I think it's an already written song. But it's very clear that, you know, he is sort of coming on to Cecily. She pulls a mic out and starts singing as well. Then Jack White comes out and he starts playing. And the entire time, it's just John Mulaney in between every line, just questioning the logic of what he's singing, completely oblivious to the fact that, like, oh, this man's, you know, has already slept with my wife or is trying to get with my wife. But I thought this had so much fun energy to it. And I'm surprised that it hit the cutting room floor, considering that they rarely give up an opportunity to bring in the musical guests for a cameo in one of these sketches. Yeah, um, two things that jump out at me in this one is that it's a very singing-heavy sketch. And again, it was fantastic. Uh, Mike showed it to me this morning. I'm like, that absolutely should have made the show, which is kind of a— Luke Knoll has a great voice. He does. He's a really good singer. And again, Cecily is a fantastic singer. But there was already the lobster singing sketch in this episode. And I'm thinking maybe they didn't want two musical numbers in there so close to each other. And the other thing is that obviously this was a Luke Knoll-led sketch. And we also had the— Horns one, and I they clearly, I don't think, would want two Luke Knoll-led sketches in the same show. It just seems odd for what they would do. So 
I can kind of see why this was cut. I don't think it should have been. I kind of wish they could have cram the uh, shaved down the the boner sketch a little bit to cram this one in there. I know you're gonna say they they should have cut the horns one. They you know stay away from that one. Leave that one in the show. Please leave that one alone. But uh, yeah, I I I would have loved to see this one in the show if for no other reason. I thought it was really good. And again, like you said, the musical guest was in there. And just give Luke Knoll more stuff to do. I think he's a very integral part of the future of the show here. But yeah, it's. It's sad that it was cut, and it seems to be something I say week after week after week. Like, man, there was a great sketch cut from this episode. Let's talk about this other one, because I don't know if I would call this one funny, but I thought it was really well done. So this was called Fish Dreams, and basically what it was talking about is if the fish character, the fish creature from the, The Shape of Water was a real actor played by Kyle Mooney, and... He says, I'm going to like leave show business. I'm going to try to pursue myself as a, a visual artist. And then it just kind of shows his uh, his career disintegrating. He has a falling out with like a friend turned rival that's also a sea creature played by John Mulaney, who then goes on to be in a popular film called Fish Fellas. He gets to host SNL. He gets to marry Adam Driver, who makes a cameo, <laughs> and not as Matt, the radar tech repairman. Uh, but, so again, I'll say that I didn't necessarily think this was very funny, but this is almost in the same category as something like Sad Mouse or Grow a Guy, where I will say, like, the performances, especially on Kyle's part, I mean, he was almost unrecognizable uh, with that makeup on, but I thought it was just, like, a very well-done story. Yeah, and it's, again, it's just a broken record every week that Kyle Mooney does genius stuff, but it's not really... SNL isn't really the right place for it. Like, this, again, this is a Sad Mouse thing, which the Sad Mouse was fantastic when Bruno Mars did it. That's one of my favorite little pieces of that era. This was kind of like Sad Mouse, but it was a little longer, and it was a little with less laughs, kind of more awkward and sad. And again, I, I really appreciate what Kyle does, but I can see why this one was cut. It, it would have taken up a little too much airtime, and this was such a strong show to start with. It was just kind of kind of bad timing, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just unfortunate because I think this thing also lasted like five minutes, and I think it's just tough to squeeze anything mm-hmm. in there and because it has Mulaney in it I don't think we'll have it pop up at any other opportunity unless they want to get you know Donald Glover under that makeup and reshoot everything but yeah I would say definitely check both of those out some other ones that I found on Reddit from someone who was at the dress rehearsal he like very loosely described them that one of them was the people at the Mar-a-Lago resort where Trump all, uh, often goes to with John Mulaney as a hotel staff member walking in periodically and saying weird stuff and a musical interlude theme sort of plays uh, I, they think they were trying to reference a TV show, but that's sort of tough to visualize. The other one is very simple. It's that, you know, uh, some boys sneak back into their house while their parents are asleep, and uh, the parents are John Mulaney and Melissa Villasenor, and they do weird things while they're asleep. So those two sketches, I guess, also made the cutting room floor, even though uh, they were not filmed. So I guess uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, really strong episode of SNL, and I'm so excited to take it into the home stretch in May, the final three episodes, with on May 5th, Donald Glover hosting with his alter ego, Childish Gambino, performing as the musical guest. It's been a long time since we've had a dual host musical guest. Not since Drake in May 2016 have we had that. Mario, I have no idea what your background is on either Glover or Childish Gambino, but what are you thinking coming into this episode? Big childish Gambino fan. I love. No, I've never heard of him. No, I know. I know Glover from uh, Community. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I know. Let me repeat that. I know Glover from Community, 
And uh, I was a fan of his on there. I think he will do a great job. I know I don't really know what he's done since then, but I've read up enough to know that that's his alter ego. So we got a little uh, a little Chris Gaines situation going on here, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah. So Donald Glover to answer your question about what he's working on recently, uh, he is the creator, writer, and main actor of the FX series Atlanta, for which I believe he won an, an, an Emmy for writing. I think it was for writing this past year. So he's definitely broken into the scene. He's probably promoting also his role in Solo, a, a Star Wars story where he's playing uh, a young Lando Calrissian. So maybe we'll see a Star Wars sketch in there as well. But yeah, I'm, I mean, if you could say one thing about the season, at least from my perspective, the, these guests, a lot of them have been like on my bucket list for SNL hosts for such a long time. The fact that in one season we're getting like Kumal Nanjiani, John Mulaney, and Donald Glover on one season of SNL is ridiculous. And Donald Glover, I mean, you know, even though he hasn't done a quote unquote comedy in a while, he's fantastic. He was one of my favorite parts of community. Uh, and so I'm, and he also comes from a writing background. He also wrote comedy. He wrote a little bit for 30 rock too. So I'm so excited to see him come on. And I actually have a little bit of childish Gambino experience. I have a couple of his songs, uh, in my iTunes libraries. I'll have to reinvestigate my love for Childish Gambino going into May. Are you excited for these final May episodes? Do you think John Mulaney has set us up well? Absolutely. In fact, it's, I don't know if it's just a uh, side effect of me hosting the show now and watching these episodes more closely, but I've really liked pretty much every episode that I have talked about since uh, uh, Natalie Portman. And I think this season is ending strong, and it feels to me like uh, this, this group, this cast is kind of gelling. They're kindly, kind of finally finding their voice. And I've always thought that, you know, the Trump election threw SNL so much that didn't, they didn't really know what their voice should be. And they, they tried. They, they tried some things. And I think they're now they're finally kind of gelling into a, a uh, cohesive group. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see where the show has gone. Even last week, the one with uh, Chadwick Boseman, I rewatched again. And it grew on me the second time that I think a lot of these last episodes have been fairly strong and they seem to be getting stronger. So. Yeah, Mulaney, I, I could not have been more excited about the show. I would love to see him host again in the future, maybe pull off some of the sketches that didn't make this one. I'm sure he's got other ones he'd love to dust off and bring out, too. So, yeah. Uh, who's do, do we know who's hosting after Glover yet? No, I think that they'll probably, you know, since we have quite a number of weeks off between then, we'll probably get that nice picture on the SNL uh, social media of the board for the final three hosts. It'll be interesting to see who the final host will be. I'm trying to think if there's one big event happening at the end of May, but considering that they had Bill Hader on only a couple weeks ago, I don't know if they'll bring an alumni back. They might bring out like a recurring host, like maybe we'll get like a Steve Martin hosting the finale for some reason, but I'm excited. I'm in total agreement that I feel like SNL in 2018, with a couple of exceptions, like your Chadwick Boseman episodes or your Charles Barkley episodes, I feel like it's been a tale of two, essentially, seasons, with the first half being okay to good, and the second half has been pretty darn good. I've been loving, especially this John Mulaney episode, but even Sterling K. Brown, Bill Hader, Will Ferrell, Natalie Portman, even Jessica Chastain, Sam Rockwell. 2018's been good for SNL, so... I'm hoping that Donald Glover will keep that train going along uh, for May. Mario, how can people follow you on social media, and uh, how's everything going with stat picks as of late? Okay, yeah, if you want to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter, at Mario J. Lanza. And again, yeah, my big passion project lately, this movie podcast, I'm doing staff picks. 
I've only been doing it for two months, and it's basically a lifetime of accumulating all these underrated, underloved movies that I want to highlight to people. And I've only been doing it two months, and I've already put out, I think, 16, 17 episodes. So it's like I'm cranking these things out left and right every two or three days just because I want to get a bunch of movies out there for people to, to hear about before, you know, uh, until the podcast kind of develops an audience. But yeah, I just recorded one on Brigsby Bear, Kyle Mooney's uh, magnum opus. I recorded that a couple days ago. I just did a horror movie called Unfriended from a couple years ago. Literally 30 minutes after this podcast, I'm about, we have another one. We're recording an old 80s movie called Peggy Sue Got Married, which is kind of a back to the future, a similar to back to the future, but it got buried because they're so similar, but it's an amazing movie. So yeah, look for Staff Picks, uh, the website staffpicks.py, or staffpicks.podbean.com and uh yeah it's a uh it's a passion project that i believe very strongly and i'm really trying to elevate all these movies out there that have been floating around for the past 5 10 15 20 30 years that really never got the love that they deserve that's my thing and now you have uh, a podcast with 16 backlogged movies to listen to over the course of the next few weeks when you will not have us gabbing on about snl in your ear so be sure to check that out you can always follow me at a mike bloom type you can check out all of the Exit Press I'm doing for Parade.com. I'll also be doing some TV stuff coming up as well in the next couple weeks for the Tribeca Film Festival. I also do a bunch of podcasts about a a bunch of other reality TV shows, so be sure to check all that out. Uh, Special thanks to Will from America. Follow him at Will from America to get all his thoughts on musical guests. We'll be happy to have him back to give us his thoughts on Childish Gambino slash Wendell Holland from Survivor 36 when SNL comes back in May. And we do appreciate you, of course, listening to this podcast. Let us know your thoughts about the episode as well. And if, if you would be so kind as to uh, rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice of, as well, we greatly appreciate that, especially since we've got a new look, a new attitude. Uh, we we want to make sure that that becomes, you know, rises to the top, uh, much like a boiling lobster of the iTunes charts. So I will not, on a lobster note, I will not sing us out, unfortunately. But Mario, thank you so much for coming on and talking about SNL as per usual. We will see you all in May talking about Donald Glover and Childish Gambino to finish off this season of SNL with the last three episodes. But for now, take care. Bye bye